In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 356 this week on the show we start with liz rosenthal and michelle rayak the co-curators of venice immersive at the venice international film festival that kicks off next week it's our annual check-in on the festival and there's a lot to unpack then we have a visit from eric Cohn of IndieWire, who's here to break down his recent column, Embrace the Metaverse, only please ignore Mark Zuckerberg's version of it. And we get into what all the metaversal shenanigans of late mean for the entertainment industry over the long haul. All of this is brought to you by those Patreon backers of ours at patreon.com slash no proscenium, including our latest backer, Neil Carty. Thank you for joining the cause, Neil. Contrary to popular belief, I'm not an eccentric millionaire, but indeed pay my bills with a Patreon, and that amounts to less than minimum wage here in Los Angeles. So if you're not a backer, please join, and if you are, help us spread the word about NoPro by dropping a review on iTunes, sharing the podcast, the newsletter, the review rundown, or any of our website's features, as word of mouth is how we grow this audience. As always, a big thanks to our sustaining backers, Ari Hurstan, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Baltazar, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. An amazing group of people who keep me literally alive. Join them at patreon.com slash And now, your podcast. After two years of virtual and hybrid editions, the Venice International Film Festival's virtual reality pillar is roaring back with an in-person event and a new name. Venice VR Expanded is no more. Long live Venice Immersive. This year's event, the sixth so far, will feature an astounding 43 projects from 19 countries and 32 VR chat worlds across the 11 days of the festival. And we are delighted to have Liz Rosenthal and Michelle Rayak, co-curators of Venice Immersive, here with us today. Hi, y'all. How you doing? Hey, well, thanks. Hi, hello. It's great to join you. This is this is the the third time we've done this virtually, and uh, it's it's almost like surprising to me. It's like, oh, summer's almost over. Venice is here, um, <laughs> like clockwork. Um, but some things are different. So Liz, maybe you could start us off here. Why the change from Venice VR expanded to Venice Immersive this year? Sure. Good question. So we started the section back in 2017 and we were called Venice VR. And most of the works we showed were virtual reality. Um, I think in our last uh, physical edition in 2019, we had a couple of mixed reality projects. Um, And then, of course, we went um, virtual. Um, and so everything was uh, VR. And I think what we wanted to do was make sure the, you know, the work that we're doing is fully expressing the whole immersive content field. 
Um, and, you know, as an expression of our program and our dedication to showcasing the full range of formats um, in immersive content creativity, we wanted the program then to reflect that because we're back in real life. We're going to be showing projects that are um, installation projects that are, have a mixture of sort of haptic um, experiences with sets and actors. Um, some have sort of uh, cross-tech kind of like um, formats with uh, real-time virtual production techniques and LED screens. Some are screen-based. Um, we have some mixed reality projects um, as well as a huge amount of virtual reality projects. So it's really just to reflect that we in Venice are covering the whole range of what immersive means. I'm going to, we'll dive down a little bit later into the, the on-site, on-set stuff, because that's really fascinating to me. Uh, but uh, for the moment, uh, Michelle, we were talking a little bit before uh, we started recording, and when we brought up the size of of competition and and just the the festival's whole, so there's 30 projects in competition this year, and that's the same as years previous. But when you went yes. into the selection process this year, um, wh- why did you keep to that that set, or was there a temptation to to blow it out even farther? I think every year we're always tempted, Liz and I, to go beyond the 30 works in competition that we have set as our limit. But we stick to that because it's already quite a lot. And for people who are coming just a few days to Venice, it's a lot to watch. All of them, all of the works in competitions are world premieres. They've never been seen before or international premieres for a few of them. So all the work is being finished, completed as we speak, and it will be delivered to us very last minute. To take that chance on works that for some, for most of them actually, we've only seen versions of uh, work in progress, we we feel that it's a, it's a good number. Also, because we add to this an out-of-competition section that we call Best Of, where we choose 10 of the works that have been published uh, since uh, the last year edition of Venice Immersive, and that represents in our mind the best of um, VR uh, creativity in the year past. So, so it's good to stick to that. I mean, the, the, w- we'll talk about it later, but what really makes this year edition bigger is the addition of this new section about world builders. So this next one, I'm going to shoot out to both of you. We'll start with Liz and, and Michelle. I'll have you come around. So from your point of view, how is the field evolving this year? Are there trends either in techniques, themes, or regions that are submitting work that, that weren't active before? Um, I think what we've seen is that in all of the different formats, we've seen an evolution in the type of content and the um complexity um, and excellence in projects. So I'd say it's quite sort of balanced in terms of what we, the kind of work we received, because obviously over the last um, two years or three years, actually, since the last edition, we weren't able to show installation work. So we've got some really spectacular works that are um, works that can only exist in real life venues that have sets and installations and haptic experiences. And so that's really wonderful seeing the development of this work because it's something we've obviously missed over the last, um, since the last edition. Um, You know, it's really interesting. We have some really strong 360 video projects um, and that's always a, 
you know, surprised because a lot of the work um, and a lot of people, you know, talked about that kind of format being something that's going to sort of vanish. And we've got some exceptionally strong projects in that area. What do you um, think, just, just to stay there for a second, what do you yeah. think is, is, is enabling that because i think i too was one of those people expecting 360 to go away but but even in last year's competition there were pieces that were really strong like this hasn't melted away from from this earth yet what's driving that it's really interesting i mean what's um we're seeing is we're seeing people from different sort of media and art forms come into vr and they've got a completely new take on using the medium so for example, I don't know if you want me to go into specific projects. We've got um, go for it, please. A beautiful project from Taiwan. We've got two Taiwanese actually, projects actually. They're excellent VR projects. One's called All That Remains. It has been um, directed by a theatre director, um, and it's such an exceptional sort of POV of the way the um, scenes morph into each other. It's a really, really beautiful artistic experience. Um, and then there's another project that's. Um, uh, it's a kind of hybrid documentary project called um, The Man That Couldn't Leave that set, it's really a, a, a piece that looks at the white terror, the time of the dictatorship in Taiwan, that's really a kind of documentary format that I've never seen before that's really beautifully shot. And then the third project is a project that comes from a filmmaker um, that's a reenactment um, of a tragic event that happened in Latvia during the Holocaust the second world war and it's very much like a film the way it plays out but it's really an exceptionally um uh, moving and well-directed piece so it's different people coming in from different areas as well and different artistic forms who are sort of adding um bringing their expertise into the format um i think is one of the things um and we're seeing completely novel ways of telling stories using this format What's interesting with 360 is that you do see a form of continuation with the film culture and the, the, the art of telling stories with through the medium of cinema, but it's coming into its own by adding to the, 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 the experience, the talent that filmmakers have, the awareness of what 360 filmmaking brings to the user experience. So it's a wonderful moment where... 360 video is starting and filmmakers are starting to understand what 360 is adding to the film experience. And we are strong believers, Liz and I, that 360 video has a very, uh, very strong future for that reason. What I love uh, as I'm, I'm watching more 360 pieces come in, I think you kind of hinted at there is that the, the filmmakers who are uh, adopting it they're not adopting it because it's the hot new thing and everyone's just trying to figure out this medium. They're adopting it because they see something in what the format can do storytelling wise. Uh, because there isn't like there isn't just a bunch of dumb money flooding for for content there now. So it's kind of a conscious choice to pick up that tool. And because of that, we're 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 starting to see some really effective pieces. Absolutely, absolutely. And in the documentary field, particularly. Yeah, and so it's kind of hybrid documentary and it enables a kind of storytelling that isn't possible, um, obviously, on flat screen. Um, and it's, it's super interesting just looking at the sort of point of view and the way that um, there are completely new techniques that we've seen introduced into the programme. Um, with those, particularly those three projects, and of course, then there's the projects that are by that are kind of known already in our best of section, like the Soloist and 
the Felix and Paul project, Spacewalkers, and the third part of the um, 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 Space Explorers, yeah, yeah. Um, series that are an exceptionally high quality shot um, 360 that are in a different kind of sphere, really. But I think obviously that you know we, there are many we, we're covering so many different forms and formats um, of uh, immersive content, and the thing that Michelle and I are particularly excited about are the um, social VR projects, the world builders, and the VR chat worlds. Um, so we have five projects in competition that are um, VR chat projects. Two are performance projects. So. That's Type Man by uh, Cinema Leap. So very exciting. So one of the things that we are seeing is seeing, um, for example, VR um, artists who have worked on sort of standalone projects suddenly using this uh, new form and this platform to tell stories. So, for example, Type Man's by a Japanese company called Cinema Leap, who've had two projects um, in selection before in Venice. And it's the first time they're an animation company. They do very, very high-end animation. And it's the first time they've um, built a world in VR chat. And the second... uh, example of someone who's a very established digital artist, Kevin Mack, um, who had a project with us, Anandala. Um, he was so wowed by what we did in VR chat last year and he joined every event, um, you know, from the West Coast. He was, I think he must have been up all night. He joined nearly, nearly all of our events that we held. He's built a, um, a new world called Namuanki um, in VR chat. So that's kind of interesting seeing... Um, you know, established artists who are coming into using these platforms, whereas VR chat is very much a community platform of people building and, um, you know, makers who don't probably consider themselves artists who are making incredible work. We're now starting to see artists come into these new platforms. Um, and, it's, and it's as if, as if um, the, the, the world of um, immersive storytelling is now... Uh, specializing in different fields and we used to think okay there's 360 video then there's all you know uh, animation and computer generated images but now there's this third it's not a genre but a sort of family which is the world building community which is very new including to a lot of people who are familiar with productions in vr but that are not at all uh, used to go on those social platforms and and visit those thousands of worlds that are now being made by uh, individuals. It's a world where there's no sense of commerce, of money, of payment. It's It's an incredible social experience as well, where people are helping each other, where communities are being formed around, um, you know, um, supporting each other's creativity. It's a, it's a fascinating phenomenon, not just creatively and artistically, but I would say also sociologically. And we are, we're very, very excited to include this in a very special way in our selection. The reason why I'm saying it's very special is that we're not just curating the, the, the worlds that we're presenting, choosing them, you know, among the thousands of worlds that exist in, in VR chat, but we're also putting together a way to make people feel comfortable in discovering what a social platform like VR Chat is and worlds, uh, the world's communities are. So each of the world hops that we will be um, offering to the audience will be guided bo- by three people for each spectator. There will be a live 
um, uh, host who will welcome you in the real world in Venice until you've put on your headset and you materialize through your avatar inside VR chat. And there you will be met by your guide, who will be someone who will have been trained by the world builders to make sure that the visit, the tour, includes all of the hot spots and best, uh, most interesting spots of the world. And a wrangler who will be helping the guide, making sure no one gets lost, you know, transitioning from one world to the next through portals or falling off cliffs or or diving into waters and getting lost. So this this huge effort that we're putting into making it congenial, uh, easy, and intuitive to start navigating those worlds is, I think, a first ever um, to to help um, new people to understanding and being comfortable and familiarize themselves with uh, with basically the metaverse because that's where the metaverse is being uh is being invented right now why why vr chat it's been a staple of the festival for a couple years now uh and it's it's a it's a popular platform with with world builders definitely but it's it's not the only sort of metaversal or or meta metaverse adjacent. I don't even know how to talk about it anymore. <laughs> like like I'm I'm one metaverse person, so like I don't want to be like, well, this guy's got a metaverse and that guy's got a metaverse. Like so you know, like um, I've definitely adopted the meta galaxy uh, terminology yeah. from the from the book that just came out. But um, yeah, why why VR chat? Um, so we've visited quite a lot of different social VR platforms. I'm going to take the metaverse world out of this now. Um, <laughs> and, um, and what's so unique about VR chat is that the, obviously with the SDK, um, you are allowed to, you can, it's unlimited in terms of what you can create. So in terms of avatar, you can, you can be any, you can upload any type of avatar and be anybody. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's an open possibility of designing any type of world in any type of way. Um, and with other pl platforms, they tend to have world building tools of their own and don't allow that. So what do you see? You see a very sort of similar aesthetic um, throughout the kind of um, worlds that are built. And the avatars um, are restricted, obviously, often to avatars that don't have any legs or um, are very kind of like childlike. And a lot of the platforms are quite childlike in terms of their, um, your ability to express. So we have sort of looked through some of the other well-known platforms, um, but they just don't um, compare at all to what's happening in VR chat. And with this, with VR chat, because of course you can design, you know, all kinds of prefabs and everything shared with the community. So there's so it just grows um, exponentially the, um, you know, what people can do and the platforms developing massively and the ability to do certain things with avatars and program in a certain way is kind of exceptional. So the community is kind of building the platform and building the tools on the platform. And that doesn't happen in other social VR um, spaces that I've seen. I think the the what strikes us, like Liz said, we have taken the time to explore all the other major um, platforms such as Engage, Old Space, Rec Room, etc. 
Um, but it's the diversity of, 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 the, of the worlds that can be built in, in VRChat that does not compare. So we, we're, not, we're not supported by VRChat. We're not supporting VRChat uh, per se. And we do not have any kind of uh, connection, you know, institutionally with VRChat. It's just a creative choice that we've made because that's where we see the widest range of, um, of uh, styles and designs and, and storytelling um, uh, strategies. And the most exciting creators and artists who are yeah. working on this platform. Absolutely. This is, this is really something that we believe very strongly, Liz and I, is that people like Rick Treverk, like um, Kevin Mack, like Finns, who are the three makers of the three worlds we have in competition, to us, they are the pioneer geniuses of uh, this new art form, which is world building, the same way that Méliès or Eisenstein or... Uh, you know, the, the pioneers of cinema in the early years of the 20th century basically invented the grammar, the, vocab the vocabulary and the form of cinema. The same thing is happening now in this new language of world building. And we believe that these three persons, these three artists will be soon recognized on the same level as the pioneers of cinema uh, have been, you know, um, after after cinema was established as a as a dominant art form. And it's particularly interesting looking at someone like Finns, who has started on VR chat. I mean, I think it's that's his first place where he started his sort of his um, his story building and his world building. Um, whereas Kevin had a career, you know, as a digital artist and won an Oscar for effects, and Rick designed games before and their work is exceptional Rick has set up this incredible community and the work he's doing is just astounding um, in terms of um, community building workshops um, the incredible generosity um, that's offered by him and his community that Finns belongs to a completely other type of uh, world builder on um, VR chat and he's part of the prefabs community which is an amazing uh, very well-known group of uh, creators um, who all help each other out and um, build worlds. So um, we've, we're showing quite a few of um, Finn. Well, actually, we're showing, I think, two or three of his other worlds in our yeah. worlds gallery. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll see the kind of credits on Finn's worlds. There's another world builder, Lacusa, and another builder, a world builder, Cyan Laser, and Fiona, who are very sort of prominent members of Prefabs. And you'll see, if you visit the worlds and you look at the credits, you'll see the na same names appear um, because everyone's helping each other out. Um, but, uh, and they've made, you know, I think these world builders are building worlds. You know, they have several on the go at the same time. Um, so Finns has built, I don't know, he's probably released about four or five worlds and they're incredibly sophisticated for just this year. Mm -hmm. We've talked a bit about formats and, and, uh, and mediums. I, I I'm sort of struck in the collection of, of work this year at the breadth of, of emotional tones, because you have you have everything from you know documentary pieces that are about uh, uh, you know interesting historical personages, uh, all the way to these these kind of really somber and, and heavy sounding stories like the the the, the story out of Latvia to uh, stuff that feels you know completely 
kind of fun and lightweight, even if a little gritty, like there's Peaky Blinders is, is in the setup this time, you know, and that's a, that's a gangster story. Right. And yeah. so I wonder if you could kind of talk to how the, the, the field is evolving that way. Do you feel like we're seeing more tones, more types of, of stories and worlds and, and, and experiences being built? Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're you're absolutely right in saying that the, the the range seems to widen. I think it comes from the fact that as as makers are exploring the medium, are finding ways that are specific to immersive media to tell stories, they're burning bridges in a way with the 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 genres or the fields they're coming from this is particularly striking for people who are coming from the 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 film world and as they're starting to feel more comfortable in exploring the the medium of immersive they start um innovating creating and and uh, dealing with themes that they never thought they could before i'll take an example two examples which are completely different one project is called Xscape, and Xscape is a is a mixed media um, uh, project that uses a Quest, the most popular headset, and yet allows you through what is called the pass through uh, technology to to keep you immersed in your physical environment that you see through your headset, just like uh, uh, captured in video, and in the middle of it is inserted a, a whole system of digital imagery and you that you need to engage with and play with it's a piece that you do with another person two people at the same time it's incredibly fun but it it is also a way of offering um, uh, an experience in a in a new media within immersive the other piece that is completely different that i can think of is um uh, Euridice, which is a Dutch project, mm. which is a very contemplative uh, project um, where you are descending into hell, following the voice of Euridice, your Orpheus, going down to the bottom of hell to find her and bring her back. But the piece becomes this sort of quest through a maze made of point clouds and with the sound of this voice coming to you you enter progressively a state of meditation so i think the 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 makers in vr are now starting to break free from the influences of the original and older art forms that they were connected with and as they do that they start um, uh, finding that they can indeed provide experiences that deal with more than just entertainment sometimes. Liz, you, you talked a bit earlier about some of the installation work that's going to be physically there in Venice. Um, I wonder if we could expand on that uh, because uh, physical immersive, as much as I love um, digital immersive, physical immersive is always first in my heart. Uh, and I just, I, basically, I'm just asking you, can you just make me jealous for the next couple of minutes and like tell us will, what's being deployed? I, I want to live I was gonna say, I was going to say I'll gladly do that, but I don't happily do that, obviously. Um, <laughs> no, 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 I like to live vicariously. This is my chance. So please. <laughs> my God, I'm going to have to do a really good description. I don't think we have the time. got a good imagination. Um, so, you know, <laughs> you'll be fine. 
So um, we've got uh, two of the projects that are really large-scale installations. Um, the first one's called Dazzle. Um, it's by um, a UK team um, who are artists, choreographers, and fashion designers. And it's a kind of celebratory dance performance. Um, and it's going to be in a really big space with this fantastic black and white graphic. Um, and it's a mixture of you can be in virtual reality experiencing it with there are live dancers who are performing live motion captured. Um, you can be out of headset um, seeing the dancers perform in front of you where they're captured on uh, in real time virtual production technique onto LED screens and you dress up as well in these fantastic black and white costumes. So it's a super fun celebratory um, experience that's meant to make a comment towards a, uh, an actual live uh, dance ball that happened um, just over 100 years ago of, at the end of the Second World War. And the black and white graphics are kind of alluding to the camouflage that was designed for ships um, um, that were, it was a camouflage that was designed for the end of the Second World War for the kind of like um, Navy ships. So it's a, it's a really beautiful, fun uh, performance. It's using all kinds of technologies. Um, and it's, I think that space is going to be about 20 metres by 9 metres. Um, and then we've got the second one um, I'll mention is a project called Rencontre. And it's by director Matthias Schellerborg, who's a master in, um, in real life immersive theatre uh, virtual reality experiences. Um, and uh, it's actually the story of the invention of the Chanel Number no. Five perfume. So, the uh, one of the most iconic perfume brands, and it has a multi-sensory element where you come in, you meet, uh, you'll go into a real set, um, you'll meet an actress who will show you into a space, and you're actually the perfumier who's working with Coco Chanel to um, uh, invent the actual perfume. So, um, and it's Marianne Cotillard who is um, the uh, voice of Coco Chanel. Very it's a very cool. interesting. It's a very interesting installation in the sense also that it opens new ways for a very very well known brand like Chanel uh, to to collaborate with an artist. Uh, Chanel financed the piece, uh, but giving free reigns to Matthias, the 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 maker. And um, this is not a promotion. This is not anything that promotes Chanel as a brand, but it does use an iconic moment in its history, iconic for everyone, uh, and uses it as the base for, for a, a super interesting experience. Uh, also in a very large scale uh, installation because the whole, the lounge, the private lounge of Coco Chanel is um, uh, built in real life and you 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 walk through this lounge with her as you are inventing the perfume channel number five. Oh, cool so so the participants will be in headset but walking through yes the yes. lounge and so they'll yes. they'll yes. see yeah. and oh, you can yeah. sit on the couch and you actually sit on the couch etc yep. and you smell good. the different scents as they uh invent them but you start in a real you start in a theatrical set you start in real life and then you move into virtual reality. Oh yeah. This, that's my bread and butter. You're talking my bread and butter right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Mateus does, does an ama does amazing work just in general and has been, has been, yeah, you know, yeah. working both, you know, pure digital and hybrid uh, since the 
the beginning of, of this VR renaissance. So that's really exciting uh, that he's got this piece. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't want to eat up uh, all of your, your time, particularly because it's getting late where you are. Um, but thank you so much for, for swinging by and giving us uh, an update on, on what's not only happening this year, but sort of the state of immersive as you see it from Venice. It's, it's always a, a massive part of the year for everyone. And I'm very excited to see that there's the hybrid and the physical work uh, standing up even more uh, in, in the, in the festival's lineup this year. Wonderful. We're going to miss you. you there. No, oh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going I'm to miss you guys there, but, but I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll catch little things that I can and I'm definitely going to do a bunch of world hopping. So wonderful. Amazing. Thank you so much, Noah. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. is the executive editor and vice president editorial strategy at IndieWire, a publication which for over a quarter century has been ahead of the curve on the business and art of entertainment. He is also one of the people I can say I've met in virtual reality before we've had a chance to meet IRL, a note which will make sense once we get into why he's on the show today. Eric, it's good to have you here. It's good to have you here listening to your voice, which is another layer of, of communication outside of communicating uh, outside of IRL that I suppose uh, adds to the kind of complex nature of our communication. Well, and I'd say the, the vast bulk of our communication has been on Twitter, but Twitter's a whole nother kettle of fish. Yeah. Um, last weekend, you dropped a column titled Embrace the Metaverse, only please ignore Mark Zuckerberg's version of it. Uh, this was prompted by the now infamous screen share of Mark's Horizon avatar, which got memes to mean to death in delicious ways. Um, just to, to set up this conversation, I, I want to drop a key line from your column, capturing the image and the broader implication. So, so here's the quote of you. The billionaire's robotic avatar against the backdrop of what looked like Eiffel Tower clip art contributed to the mounting sense that this metaverse thing is teed up to become a business snafu of even greater proportions than Quickster and Quibi combined. So that was definitely the vibe last week. And so I wanted I wanted to check in and, and see. You, you've got a different angle on it, though. Well, what I think is really important to point out is that Mark Zuckerberg didn't invent the metaverse, even if the term has been popularized to the extent where anyone paying attention to broader business trends suddenly seems like an expert in it. And what was frustrating seeing, you know, everyone making fun of this image was the implication that this is like Mr. Metaverse. And I think the miscalculation of Facebook slash meta it's really important to separate that from some of the strides that are being made in terms of creativity in the metaverse, the kind of uh, potential that it's creating in terms of social media that's really exciting that you and I have both experienced. And so I just I wanted to kind of assess that, assess that a little bit more carefully because one thing that we often do uh, when we're looking at the state of the industry is we look at whoever's making the most noise mm. as sort of indicator of where things are at it's pretty clear to me that things are we're, we're we're heading in a in a very positive direction in terms of xr with or without mark zuckerberg and that's sort of what this story was was trying to to look at 
all right, given the moment that we're in, given that Meta makes the most noise, right? Like, and and that they've got a whole business strategy around that, like the whole pivot to Metaverse for them, change their name, the whole nine yards. What do you see as the bright spot waypoints? What are the what are the things that are hitting your radar that are making you think actually we're we're out of that doldrum we were in for a few years? Like, why should the entertainment well, industry exciting. be paying attention to this? What's exciting to me is that there is an active audience in in basically every possible virtual space that's thriving as a community. And I look at something like the documentary we, we met in virtual reality and the way in which you have many different kinds of generations and, and people of many different backgrounds all over the world starting to have in complex virtual networks like VRChat uh, entire lives that don't negate their IRL experiences. And I think what that indicates is that we are on the verge of a flowering of creativity and business activity that takes advantage of audiences and content consumers who exist in that space. So, you know, for me, as somebody who pays attention to the kind of traditional entertainment media landscape of film and TV, the reason I think this is valuable is because it's really hard to get people to pay attention to anything these days. And whoever can crack the code in, in actually distributing film and TV in these spaces is going to be way ahead of where the market is heading. So I actually think what's, what's really positive that's happening is that you're seeing uh, a, a sort of a flowering of, of social networking happening in, uh, in virtual spaces that is, is constructive. It's not all just trolls and teenagers as, I, as I've written. Uh, so I think that's really positive. And I also think that on some level, the rest of the industry outside of the kind of meta vortex is starting to adapt. And whether that's, you know, there's a lot of examples out there, but the ones that I've cited include things like CAA hiring a, an officer of metaverse join a popper or, um, you know, Disney hiring its own executive and, Sony investing in, in, in Epic Games and so forth. So you're seeing all of these different kind of movements of the industry starting to understand that metaverse is this expansive concept that we are all experiencing and it has all these different kind of touch points that are consumer friendly, even if the meta headset is not, and even if Horizon Worlds is not. So the metaverse as an experiential thing with ramifications that are both cultural and industrial is is it just keeps getting more diverse and complicated by the day. Uh, are you seeing the possibility here of, you know, the metaverse space being a distribution channel for traditional film and TV, or, or are we talking about those creatives playing in this space in a, in a different way? It's an important distinction, but I think it's, it's both really. I mean, uh, you know, if you look at the kind of world building that's happening in VR, the kind of, um, XR programming that festivals are doing, there's no question that it's it's one of the most exciting times for emerging media creatives because the technology is just so far reaching and every company seems like they want to basically hire creatives to play around with it. So I think that's really exciting. But I also think that we are on the verge of seeing how film and TV, it's a, in a more conventional sense, can migrate into these spaces. We're not there yet. But the point that I'm making is that the audience is being cultivated there. And the first companies that can understand how to take advantage of that audience uh, are going to be ahead of the curve. It's 
speaking about it being ahead of the curve, in the column, you mention another essay written in 1971 by someone else, Peter Gruber, who would go on to have one of the most successful producing careers in modern Hollywood history. Uh, and this, this really blew, blew my mind because it's, it's 1971. And in that essay, he basically calls it when it comes to the looming VHS revolution. I don't even think VHS yeah. was a format yet, but, but yeah. he does this a, like a decade, decade plus before home video is the dominant force in the business. Do you think that's the moment we're in right now? I think that we are in a moment where we are overdue for people to make bold predictions about the future of the industry of the sort where if you follow that advice, you might not be a dinosaur in a couple of years. <laughs> because if you look at this Peter Gruber article, it's fascinating. In 1971, over 50 years ago, this God. young studio executive is looking at uh, you know, the, the cassette tape revolution, basically, what, what we would eventually call VHS tapes, and saying, we're going to get to a point where the audience gets to dictate the experience, not the studio. And so whoever's making stuff is operating at the whims of the, of the audience because the audience decides how and when and where they get to consume this media. And by virtue of that fact, it made a lot of sense for studios to look at what kind of assets they had they could monetize for that emerging market, in this case, libraries, right? So if the studios had monetized their libraries instead of selling them off rather cheaply, they wouldn't necessarily have lost out on a lot of revenue when VHS really took charge in the 80s. And so you read an essay like this and you see all these predictions he's making. I mean, this is the guy who's even saying that you know, pornography is going to become this revolutionary thing that's going to be done much cheaper and people can do it in private and all this stuff. You know, it's like he's seeing the Internet. He's seeing the streaming revolution. He's, he's basically predicting that, you know, if the studios do not evolve, they will become dinosaurs. And that's essentially what happened because you now have an entertainment media complex that is dominated not by traditional Hollywood studios, but by disruptors, whether that's Apple or Netflix or whomever, Disney to some extent. Um, and I think what, what's fascinating about looking back at something like that is that it shows you why thinking so far in the future is actually practical. It's not just being you know, a mystic, a futurist of sorts uh, who's playing around with hypothetical possibilities. It's really thinking about, well, how do we come up with ways of being sustainable? And, and Goober is somebody who's still around. He's 80 years old. He sold a VR uh, events production company that he invested in 2009 to Apple. So this is something that's followed him through generations, really. So the reason why I brought this in, one, is because Paul Schrader, the great filmmaker, brought it to my attention because he edited the magazine in the early 70s that Goober was writing for, but also because it just struck me when I saw all this... Um, all the, the satire going around about Zuckerberg's weird selfie in Horizon Worlds is that it really misses the point, which is that you cannot ignore the future of everything when it's staring you right in the face, even if it looks a little ridiculous. And in this case, it, it literally looks ridiculous, but it's also very clearly the future of everything. And if we can get past the, the sort of superficial components, we can get it closer to what's actually happening with the industry and the culture and that's really where there's innovation and opportunity. Can the industry think that far ahead right now? Because I, I look at something, you know, the, the, the other big story right now is just as Discovery just guts 
Warner Animation and and you know removes a bunch of stuff from HBO Max, all of which is they're doing for tax write-off purposes, which is very quarterly results thinking in my book. Can the industry get over this this race to the next report, uh, particularly in a world where it, it, they're they're married now to Silicon Valley, who are possibly even more driven by the short term? Uh, unless they're Apple, who are planning 90 moves ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people could learn from a company like Apple in that sense. But Apple is also the biggest company in the world and has money to spare. And, and with money, you can buy time and, and people and, and more room for innovation and, and also room to fail sometimes, which people forget when you succeed. So I think what's... What's a Newton? <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, the thing is... Uh, with, with Warner Brothers Discovery, it's kind of it's kind of funny because you know this is a company in transition, but it's transitioning back to kind of what it used to be, which is a more traditional studio. Uh, the previous regime of sorts was trying to be super disruptive and create streaming properties and, and so forth, and made for streaming movies, which is not really a good business model. And one of the things that happened with something like Batgirl, which we haven't seen, of course. Uh, unless you're seeing one of these funeral screenings on the Warner Brothers lot, is that uh, it didn't seem like it really fit neatly into anything the market wanted. It wasn't necessarily going to be a streaming hit. wasn't necessarily going to be a theatrical movie. And so they're they're kind of going back to looking at what was the old model that worked and how can we just make that work because they need to cut costs and be successful financially. So that that short-term thinking is basically a survival tactic. And the only way you can get past that is to both stabilize your business and be forward thinking at the same time. And we're not seeing a lot of companies that are able to straddle that line. I think Netflix a decade ago did it very smartly in the sense that it was both acquiring films and TV shows and sort of starting to develop an original content strategy so it could get away from that. Uh, it overspent and then had a glut of content. And that's a whole problem now that they're, they're contending with. So that's a whole other thing. But I do think on some level, it's possible to, to, to walk and chew gum at the same time, essentially. And what will be interesting to see once Warner Brothers Discovery stabilizes is what is that new layer that it adds that, that kind of points toward the future? We don't really know. Right now, what we basically are seeing is um, a company realizing that it's a sinking ship and trying to, to cut assets to survive. So it doesn't really tell us anything about what the future looks like. Pivoting back over to, to Metaverse, when, when you think of Metaverse, how expansive do you think of, uh, of that term? Are you thinking just VR and AR? Are you thinking stuff like Fortnite? Where, where do you come down on, on yeah, I think I think it, that the Metaverse is an all-encompassing term for any kind of non-physical engagement with other people. So whether that is a, a Fortnite or Grand Theft Auto Online or it's, uh, you know, uh, VR experiences, which were more interesting to me, I, I don't think it really matters because it's it's sort of, it's something that's familiar to all of us. To some degree, I even think I'm having metaverse encounters when I'm in Google Docs and my colleague is, you know, chatting with me in the little sidebar and adding notes or whatever, because that's a social experience exclusively informed by digital tools. I think on some level that talking over Twitter or whatever is also a, a form of, of metaverse interaction, or at least a kind of early prototype for what we're now seeing it mature into. It's just an extension of those same impulses to have non, of sort of non-physical 
interactive potential defined in part by what the internet allows us to do, but also by you know, the added tools that kind of inform the rules of engagement. So I don't think it, it needs to be seen as something that is so rarefied that only a few people can understand it. Having said that, I think that the best possible metaverse experiences are happening in the XR space, specifically in the VR space, even if you know, the, the experience is not always perfect, simply because you can do things at scale that feel very close to real life experiences. I mean, I had an amazing time going to Burning Man in all space with thousands of people. And those kinds of experiences, those kinds of encounters are just so next level. When you introduce them to somebody who's never had them before, they immediately recognize why it's the future. So that's the thing that, that I think is, is most important to understand is that while metaverse is all encompassing, I think it also points to the future and it's most valuable for understanding where things are heading in terms of the way that technology is going to inform communication. We all know entertainment is a hits business. So I'm wondering, aside from going to Burning Man uh, and maybe world hopping, what right now is exciting you about those XR platforms? What what content, to use the, that word, which makes me shudder. Yeah, I know, uh, the C word. The C, the other C word. Dread and yet we keep coming back to it because we haven't found a better term. I mean, ultimately what we're talking about is art. I think yeah. art is something that will always thrive in new media because it's just uh you know creative impulses find ways of making technology fun to play around with that's why melier was able to make amazing magic with early cinema not because of a business model to make money on movies but because he was a magician who found cool ways of doing things there and i think we're seeing something similar in terms of interactive theater. I think what we're seeing in terms of other kinds of uh, interactive games, but also world building in general, uh, 3D artwork, uh, things that people can do with, um, you know, say Tilt Brush, for example, is, is the sort of uh, direction that's most exciting because it's looking at the media in terms of what it can do on its own terms. And there's so much more that can be done there, but it's experiential, it's interactive, it's 3D, and it defies all kinds of categories. I mean, I, I love seeing things that, uh, you know, uh, allow me to experience a narrative through my phone in my living room, uh, but it could also be transplanted to the street. I mean, the, the kind of AR experiences that people are creating now are completely unclassifiable and also unique to the media in which they're being created. And that's what's most exciting for me, is that people are making things that could only be made with these tools. They, they don't just feel like a movie that you happen to be watching in VR or whatever. I would love to see that happen, but that's not where I see the most exciting kind of development. Well, Eric, thank you for taking your time out of your day to to break down the column for us and to talk about the moment we're in. Uh, I just the second I saw it, as I was reading it, I was just like, oh, "I got to get Eric on the show. I got to get I got to make sure that everyone knows that that this is here, the Gruber story, the whole nine yards." So, um, thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm always excited to have these conversations. I wish that more people who studied film and TV were paying attention to them. And it's always thrilling when uh, anyone who's sort of paying more attention to the kind of future of emerging media and immersive experiences reaches out. Because to me, this isn't just 
a potential future. It's kind of the future that we're all heading. And so it's really cool to, to talk to you about this stuff and, and see that there's a receptive audience out there for it. Once again, I want to thank Liz, Michelle, and Eric for being our guests on the show today. Quick correction note, uh, and and I figured out why I'm doing it, but it's it's for like personal reasons. Uh, I kept on calling Peter Goober Peter Gruber. Uh, like I said, I know why my brain did that, but it has nothing to do with anything that anyone needs to know about. So it's nothing too bad or weird, but you know, just names transliteration things stick in your brain that's why i was getting that wrong uh <laughs> i was listening to it as i was editing it this morning and i was like why are you an idiot and thinking do i go back in and like recut and it's like no just just do this part where you throw yourself on the mercy of the court um anyway uh we are deep into summer mode right now uh i know that spooky season is coming around the corner and things are really starting to pick up uh around the country and uh, here in la in particular uh tickets for the willows are going back on sale they're coming back for halloween that's happening on september 1st there's also all kinds of shenanigans uh going on uh here in la beyond that but that's that's something that uh, that broke this week uh and of course you know up in noho you've got uh, zombie joes uh up, up to their usual shenanigans they're also having a uh killer clowns from outer space cosplay party uh, you can find all that on Everything Immersive. Yes, including the cosplay party. Uh, go over to everythingimmersive.com and run your searches either in your neck of the woods or uh, just, you know, click around on the front of the site. Uh, one of the things that's on there right now, actually, is uh, all of the Philly uh, fringe work that's going to pop up starting soon. There's a whole bunch of really interesting looking uh, immersive works from creators that we know and love like unique Trapman O'Brien and Jessica Crean and Altera productions. And then folks uh, whose work we haven't experienced yet. Blake is going to be exploring a lot of that uh, in the not too distant future. And so there'll be reviews, but it's a fringe. So get out there and get a jump on it. Uh, and there's enough work going on and some of it's happening enough in the same period of time that, you know, if you're not too far away, might be worth jumping in and seeing what's up. So you can find that on the front page of Everything Immersive right now. Over at NoPro, uh, we've got uh, some some pretty good jobs on the call sheet this week. The review rundown is nice and robust, and there's just all kinds of announcements going on. Uh, BFI's uh, festival announcement just happened. That's on the front page. Or, or it was on the front page. It's in it's in the newswire right now. Uh, this podcast is going up, so I think it's going to bump it off. It's just it was a very busy week this week, and I kind of love it. Um, all right, uh, just one more hit out there. It really does help when people share. Uh, this thing. So uh, whether it's this or any of the stuff we do, when you share, you help us find a bigger audience and uh, you find folks who uh, are, are loving this and wanting to support the cause. Uh, we, I want to keep on doing this as long as I can, but I need your help. And whether that's uh, cash or credit or, 
or just sharing or giving us a review. Uh, also, if we get to that point, I can stop doing this part because you can tell I really don't like doing this part. So uh, whatever, whatever you can do to help me not have to do this part anymore. Thank you. That's it for now. I think there's something that feels like there's something else, something I'm forgetting, but I don't have like a bunch of comprehensive notes in front of me because I'm going to go do the newsletter next. And then uh, I've got to go see a show this week and uh, get ready for the next turn of the cycle. So, oh, uh, actually, no, here's here's the other thing. Uh, Denver Immersive Gathering, uh, the original price is still running right now. So if you go over to Immersive Denver, you can find both the standard tickets, which are 150 and the VIP tickets, which are 250 That price is still holding until after Labor Day because uh, we had to push back some announcements uh, until then. Uh, so you still got a chance here to get it at the lowest price it's going to be. And we are almost out of VIP. I think there are like 10 VIP tickets left. So if you're eyeing those, now is the right time to do it. Uh, we'll be kicking off, uh, and when I say we, uh, you know, I'm, I'm part of the team that's making it. This is not a production of ours, but you know, when I, when I work on a project, I instantly go to we. When I give people advice, I instantly go to we. It's, it's a perspective thing. So, uh, We'll have some information on the the pre-event networking part of it. That's going to be hitting because uh, we want everyone to be able to hit the ground running in terms of meeting up with people and finding new uh, new a new cohort uh, or meeting up with old friends. And there's a lot of interesting folks who are already coming out to this thing. So it's going to be a grand time in Denver. That is Denver, uh, November fourth, fifth, and sixth. Uh, the uh, headline talk is uh, Sarah Thatcher, uh, Michael Tara Garver, and Anne Morrow Johnson of Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser talking about pulling that whole beast together. And of course, the VIP tickets uh, include access to Theater of the Mind, which is the new show that sprung for the mind of uh, David Byrne that is popping up in Denver next week. Next week. I think that's right. Next month. Previews start next week. Don't quote me. I don't have my notes in front of me. I'm just, I'm remembering 15 different Slack threads that I'm in right now. So, all right. Well, you can tell I'm having a fractured Friday. That's enough for now. Let's do the credits. The associate, oh, actually one more thing. (laughs) Now I remember the other thing I want to tell you. Uh, Over in our Discord, uh, added, well, added a channel and revamped the channel. So we added a channel this week called Connections. This is the place to just introduce yourself and to find other people in the community, whether you're uh, an enthusiast who's looking for friends to go run off and do stuff with, or you're a professional who's looking to connect with other professionals, uh, whether you're seeking uh, folks to work on a project of yours or in a kind of a a non-job specific way, or you just want everyone to know what your skills are. Boom. Boom go ahead and use the connections channel in the discord. We've also taken our walkabout mini golf channel, which was dedicated to the group of people playing that game and turned it into the game room. And so now that is sort of a pick up and play space for virtual games. So whether it's mini golf or Patrick and I are playing Demio right now, and we're looking for other folks to play with uh, anything. I'm going to put the bowling game in there at one point, anything that you might be looking to do world hopping uh, or looking to do some IRL gaming. If you're, you're looking for folks to say, go check out the Ministry of Peculiarities with you. All of that 
there in the game room uh, again a place uh, to meet up with other folks you can find that all in our discord uh, and i will drop a link to the discord in the show notes uh, there's oftentimes things things news breaks on the discord things happen on the discord faster than it happens anywhere else and it's always good if you have dropped by the discord before and you're like oh it doesn't think to be going anywhere uh, and that was like months ago come on back because it is it is getting more robust all the time so uh swing on back through all right, now I'm done. The associate producer of No Persinium is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan Lachlan for voicing our intro. And this mess is my fault. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>